0: Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity, entitled Therapy Gaps, Identifying New Targets in the Management of NSCLC, is provided by Agile. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Dysregulation of MET signaling has been widely described in oncogenic processes across numerous tumor types. It's notable that all three types of MET dysregulation have been documented in non-small-cell lung cancers, or NSCLC. Thus, MET gene aberrations provide excellent insight from which to develop new therapeutic agents. This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Paul Pack. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Viola Zhu about CBET gene aberrations and their relevance in the management of NSCLC, especially in those patients with MET-exon 14 skipping mutations. In this first chapter, we'll be discussing the MET proto oncogene in NSCLC. Dr. Zhu, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me here today.
0: Dr. Zhu, the MET proto oncogene has been implicated in a number of cancers, including NSCLC. Can you describe for us the various types of MET gene dysregulations that occur in NSCLC? How has their identification led to therapeutic approaches for a subset of patients with NSCLC with a very poor prognosis?
1: Absolutely. So MET, M-E-T, this is a proto-oncogene that can encode a receptor tyrosine kinase with its ligand known as HGF, hepatocyte growth factor. The binding of MET to its ligand induces downstream signaling through the RAS, RAF, and PI3K pathways. Aberrant MET signaling can drive tumor growth through increased cell proliferation, survival, Invasion and metastases. Now, in non small cell lung cancer, aberrant MAT signaling can occur through a number of mechanisms, including MAT or HGF protein overexpression, MAT gene amplification, MAT gene mutations such as exon 14 skipping alterations, or MAT gene fusion slash rearrangement. Particularly, MAT exon 14 skipping alterations. Uh, primary oncogenic drivers that can occur in approximately 3 to 4 percent of patients with non-small cell lung cancer. Now, these uh, mutations can be detected in either tissue or liquid biopsy samples. Speaking of metaxone-14 skipping alterations, this Genomic alterations spatially disrupt distinct splicing sites at the acceptor or donor site flanking the mat exon 14. So as a result, the mat juxtamembrane domain is deleted, which can lead to impaired mat ubiquitination, decreased mat turnover, and increased signaling.
0: Before we wrap up, Dr. Zhu, can you provide us with one key takeaway from this chapter?
1: Yeah, sure. So I would say the take-home message for this chapter is that met dysregulation is a very important um, molecular alterations, particularly seen in non-small cell lung cancer. And we really need to test everybody to look for a met dysregulation, particularly the exon 14 skipping alterations in order to uh, treat them with effective therapeutic agents.
0: In Chapter 2, we'll be discussing recently approved and emerging therapies in NSCLC harboring MET gene aberrations. Stay tuned. Welcome. In the first chapter, we covered the MET proto-oncogene in NSCLC. In Chapter 2, we're looking at recently approved and emerging therapies for patients with NSCLC harboring MET gene aberrations. I'm Dr. Paul Pack.
1: I'm Viola Zhu.
0: Dr. Zhu, let's get started by taking a closer look at recently approved and emerging therapies that are likely to improve outcomes for patients with NSCLC harboring met gene aberrations.
1: Sure, so before I get into two effective TKIs for met axon 14 skipping alterations in non-small cell lung cancer, I'd like to just briefly mention various therapeutic ways to try to block met dysregulation. This includes anti met receptor monoclonal antibodies, anti-HGF, the ligand monoclonal antibodies, such as feclituzumab, or selective kerosene inhibitors, such as salvolatinib, camatinib, tapatinib. Um, lastly, the various multikinase inhibitors, such as crizatinib, cabozantinib. Marastinib, glisartinib, and citrovetinib. I also like to point out that when you look at MET inhibitors, they can be sort of placed into these two categories type 1 versus type 2 MET inhibitors depending on how they bind to the MET tyrosine kinase. For type 1, there's also type 1A and B. Generally speaking, perhaps the type 2 MET inhibitors can potentially rescue some solvent from mutations. Now, I do like to focus on two MET TKIs that have been approved for patients with non-small cell lung cancer harboring MET exon-14 skipping alterations. The first TKI is camatinib. This drug received its accelerated FDA approval in May 2020, and the approval is based on the landmark geometry study, which was published at New England Journal of Medicine in September 2020. Now, geometry, this is a multi-cohort phase two study evaluating camatinib at 400 milligram twice daily in patients with met dysregulated events, non-small cell lung cancer. The trial's primary endpoint was objective response rate by independent review committee. Secondary endpoint included duration of response, again, by independent review committee. So for a total of 69 patients who had received only one or two lines of therapy, ORR was 41 percent. DOR was 9.7 months. In comparison, for 28 patients who had not received previous treatment, ORR was higher at 68 percent. DOR was longer at 12.6 months. I also like to point out that this trial also allowed um, other MET dysregulated uh, non small cell lung cancer patients. For example, for MET amplification defined as gene copy number of 10 or higher, I mean, the ORR was actually 29% for patients that had been previously treated versus 40% that were treatment naive. So, coming to another TKI, which you, is topotnib. This drug was initially approved in Japan in March 2020 Followed by its accelerated FDA approval in February of this year, 2021, also for patients with non small cell lung cancer harboring exon 14 skipping alterations. The approval was based on the landmark vision study that was published at New England Journal of Medicine in May 2020. This is an open label phase two study evaluating tepotinib at 500 milligram once daily in patients with exon-14 skipping alterations. The primary endpoint was ORR by independent review committee among patients who had undergone at least nine months of follow-up. So there were a total of 99 patients that fit into this category. ORR was 46% and duration of response DOR was 11.1 months. Now, this trial also looked at patients with this molecular alteration detected by either liquid biopsy or tissue biopsy. So for liquid biopsy group, among 66 patients, ORR was 48%. For the tissue biopsy group, among 60 patients, ORR was quite comparable at 50%. Again, peripheral edema was the most common toxicity. It was 7% for all treatment-related peripheral edema. This continuation rate due to AE was roughly around 11% or so. Now, in terms of tapotnib, um there were some updated data presented at WCLC 2020. Um, in this presentation, For 69 patients who were treatment-naive, ORR was 45%, and DOR was 10.8%. Looking at 83 patients who were previously treated, the data were quite comparable. ORR was 45%, and duration of response was 11.1 months. So that's pretty much my summary.
0: Well, this has been great. Before we wrap up, Dr. Zhu, can you provide us with one key takeaway from this chapter?
1: Yes, so my take home message is obviously exon 14 skipping alterations, a very powerful primary oncogenic driver in non small cell lung cancer. We really need to test, you know, if we find these patients, either chemetnib or tapatnib presents a very effective and tolerable therapeutic option.
0: In chapter three, we'll be discussing the emerging therapeutic landscape and CMET inhibitors. Stay tuned. Welcome. In the second chapter, we covered recent and emerging therapies for patients with NSCLC harboring MET gene aberrations. In chapter three, we're considering the therapeutic landscape and a broader view of the value proposition for C-MET inhibitors. I'm Dr. Paul Pack.
1: I'm Viola Zhu.
0: Dr. Zhu, while substantial attention has been directed to cMET dysfunction as an oncogenic driver in NSCLC, the landscape of the MET activation pathway has taken on new importance. Of particular interest is this pathway's role in the acquired resistance to EGFR-TKIs in patients with NSCLC expressing EGFR-activating mutations, such as exon-19 deletions or exon-21 point mutations like L858R. Could you put that into perspective for us?
1: Now, MET dysregulation can also be seen as a resistance mechanism in patients with EGFR-positive non-small-cell lung cancer. Um, after failing EGFR TKI therapy. So it is very important, you know, when you see a patient after disease progression on EGFR TKI to look for resistance mechanisms by doing repeat biopsy. You can attempt uh, with either a tissue biopsy, or a repeat repeat liquid biopsy. When you detect MAP amplification, for example, it might be important to try to use combination TKI approach um, to block the original founder mutation, in this case, EGFR mutations, and the acquired resistance mutation, in this case, MAP amplification. So such a concept has actually been tested in clinical trial. There is a trial uh, known as the INSIGHT study, which is an open-label phase 1b-2 multi-center randomized trial conducted in six Asian countries. So this trial enrolled EGFR-positive patients without the acquired T790M mutation, but with acquired metalva expression or amplification. These patients were randomized to either gefitinib plus tapatinib versus platinum doublet chemotherapy. The trial's primary endpoint was PFS by investigator assessment, Secondary endpoints included overall survival and safety. I'd like to mention that um, for this trial, only 31% patients were enrolled into the combination TKI group, and the PFS was 4.9 months. And for patients uh, enrolled into the chemo group, uh, PFS was 4.4 months. There were about 24 patients in the chemo group. In terms of overall survival, the data were quite similar. OS was 17.3 months for the combination TKI group versus 18.7 months for the chemo group. So the trial's outcomes were essentially negative. However, if you focus on 34 patients with MAP overexpression defined by IHC of 3+, the PFS and the OS data favored the combination TKI group. PFS was 8.3 months compared to 4.4 months for chemo. OS was 37.3 months as compared with 17.9 months for the chemo group. Also, if you look at 19 patients with amplification defined as gene copy number of 5 or higher or ratio of 2 or higher, Again, both PFS and OS data favor the combination TKI approach. PFS was 16.6 months as compared to 4.2 months for the uh, chemo group. OS was 37.3 months as compared with 13.1 months for the chemo group. So this trial really triggered designing of many current ongoing trials to look at this combination approach to try to rescue resistance mechanisms of MET amplification or MET overexpression in patients with EGFR-positive non-small cell lung cancer after disease progression on EGFR-TKI therapy. So briefly, there are a couple of ongoing trials. The first one is the INSIGHT-2 study, which is the combination of osimertinib and Tepopnib. The second trial is the um, Ocimertinib um, plus Savolitinib trial. Savolitinib is another MET um, TKI. The third one is Ocimertinib plus TPX0022, which is the next generation TKI for uh, MAT alterations. And lastly, i like to um, mention a trial of JNJ372 known as amivetinib. This is a human by specific egfr c antibody. So from a mechanistic standpoint, you could potentially think of this treatment as an option for MET alteration in EGFR-positive non-small cell lung cancer.
0: In this sense, I think the work that's been done trying to target these uh, MET pathway alterations in egfr mutant lung cancers has been encouraging because in a relatively short period of time, uh, we've been able to Uh, do a number of different trials that have shown some promising signals, which have led on to additional trials in the space. And so uh, more to come on that, as well as I think targeting other pathways in the context of of EGFR lung cancer and acquired resistance to drugs like osimertinib. Well, this has been great. Uh, Before we wrap up, Dr. Zhu, can you provide us with one key takeaway from this chapter?
1: So my take-home message is that it is very important to look for resistance mechanisms in patients with uh, EGFR positive non-small cell lung cancer. This concept perhaps should be applied to patients with all oncogenic uh, drivers among disease progression on existing EGFR, uh, on existing TKIs. So when you do identify met dysregulation as resistance mechanism, perhaps we should consider a combination approach to block the original founder mutation as well as met dysregulation.
0: Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. So I want to thank our audience for listening in and thank you, Dr. Viola Zhu, for joining me and for sharing all of your valuable insights. It was great speaking with you today.
1: So thank you very much for having me here today. Goodbye.
0: You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Agile. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.